Hey, beloved, welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. You know we love an end-of-the-week show. That's what we have today. I get to cover a lot of ground, talk about all that's going on, bunch of headlines for you, and we always get to do, at the end of the week, we get to do some best things that I've seen all week. Yes, yes, yes. These are videos or stories that either I pick or my producers pick that we think are interesting. Bring a smile to your face. Make your big toe shoot up in your boot. <laughs> I'm so glad you tuned in today. We're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean a little later. How about we play the bumper, highly? Yes, 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 yes. So let's talk about Alex Jones, people. Mr. Alex Jones this week was ordered to pay $1 billion for the lies he spread about the 2012 Sandy Hook School massacre. Yes, all of those blessed children killed, shot down, and Alex Jones lied about it. For years, Alex Jones claimed that the attack was a hoax, and he accused grieving parents of being actors days after the murder. I'm not sure what kind of evil, what kind of level of decadence you have to have access to to want to add to the pain and the misery and the grief and the sadness of parents whose children were shot down like animals in a school. You got to be a particular kind of evil to run around doing that. But that's exactly what Alex Jones did. And he did it for years. For years, he went on his little platform that has way too many people listening, by the way, which is a whole nother conversation. Spreading lies about the Sandy Hook families. And the worst part about it is that he knew better. He knew better. And what's worse than that is that he didn't care. He knew better, he knew he was lying, and that he didn't care about the pain he was inflicting or the lies he was spreading. But now the day of reckoning has come for Mr. Alex Jones, and it's come in the form of $1 billion. $1 billion is a lot of money, okay? I don't care what nobody tells you. $1 billion ain't nothing to sneeze at. And Alex Jones is going to be paying these parents off for the rest of his life. And that's exactly what he should be doing. That's exactly what he deserves. We become a nation of conspiracy theories and lies where people will believe anything. If it pops up in their phone, they will believe it. If they see it on a screen, it's got to be true. People don't even question the source anymore. They don't even question if it makes sense anymore. We're not even thinking anymore. If we see it, we accept it because seeing is believing. All Alex Jones had to do was tell the truth, beloved. That's all he had to do. The only thing he had to do was just sit up there and tell the truth. But he was making money off a lie, so he told more lies to make more money. Greed got Alex Jones in this trouble, and now his money is gone. Companies bankrupt, and every dime that he makes for the rest of his life will have to go to paying off these families in the tune of $1 billion. Let me just say this to you. It feels good to know that people who perpetrate evil endlessly are starting to finally be held accountable. It just feels like the world is starting to right itself again, that people who, did, who, do, who hurt people and, and who, are, who are full of mandacity, that those people are finally starting to be held accountable. I think it's a wonderful thing. It is. Because you can't just let evil run amok. You can't just let people get away with doing crazy stuff all the time and you say nothing about it. You see, the moment, the moment you let evil run amok, it takes over and it takes on a life of its own. And before you know it, what started as something small turns into something unmanageable and huge and big. And then you have to live with the consequences of not speaking up when you had a chance.
You see, when somebody's in your life and they, they're doing what Alex Jones did, which is perpetuating lies and not caring about other people and running over people, you got you to gotta stand up and you got to say something. You got to open your mouth because the life you save might be your own. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Iran. You guys have seen in the news, there's a lot going on in the, in the nation of Iran. And, and so clearly the Iranian government, from what I can tell, doesn't know what it's doing with respect to how to listen to the needs of its people. If you want a tutorial in how not to listen to your people, follow everything the Iranian government happens to be doing. There was already protests going on in the country because of the murder of Maisha Amini. And now a 16-year-old has allegedly died at the hands of the secret police. And what was already a volatile situation has become an even more volatile situation. Did you catch that? They were already marching and protesting because what happened to Amini. And now this 16-year-old was killed by the police. And so now that Serena is dead, she's been killed, more people are in the streets because now people are mad at that. And the Iranian government has succeeded in making a bad situation worse. A bad situation has become extra-dentrally worse because the government won't listen to its people, won't listen to the fact that women have decided that they don't want to deal with the draconian moral policing of their bodies and of their hair and of their, what they can wear and how, and how they have to cover up. They don't want to deal with the antediluvian monitoring of their political power. And so they have decided that they're not having it anymore. And what the Iranian government hasn't figured out is that this ain't, this ain't going away. This is not going away. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and act like this didn't happen. It is happening. <laughs> the women of Iran have decided that they're not tolerating this anymore. And I told you this. Nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And in Iran, what we're seeing is the birth of a new nation, the birth of a new sensibility, where people finally decide that they are tired of being trampled over by the iron feet of oppression. And when people get tired, when they get sick and tired, when they get dog sick and tired, there's really nothing you can do about it. You see, since we're talking about Iran, let me give you a little biblical lesson. Do you know the difference between the, the, the Egyptian empire and the Babylonian empire? The difference was the Egyptian empire met resistance with brutality. But the Babylonian empire in the scriptures met resistance with kindness and assimilation. It's a very important distinction. And since Iran was a part of the Babylonian Empire, it goes to bear that the Iranian government should probably take a look at its history. You see, what is it about oppressive governments that makes them think that if you beat and, and, and kill people more, that people will want to be free less? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Why can't oppressive governments understand that the more you beat and oppress people and kill people, the more they want to be liberated from being beaten, oppressed, and killed? It, it sounds like basic logic to me, but that's what oppressive governments do. They think that the more they come down with the iron fist, that people will all of a sudden decide, you know what? I don't want to be free. I'm too afraid to be free. I'm too worried, too anxious to be free. And what, you, what, so what, what they don't understand is that that's not how human beings work. We're not built that way. At a certain point, the more you hurt, the more you oppress, the more you back us into a corner, human beings come out fighting for their lives. And that's exactly what's going on in Iran. 
Except the Iranian government hasn't figured it out yet. It's just hoping that the more it throws people in jail and the more it takes people off to be re-engineered or have their minds changed, whatever they want to call it, that all of this will just go away. Mm-mm. Not going to happen. <laughs> Here's what the Iranian government needs to understand. When a woman's fed up, there ain't nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and the women of Iran are absolutely fed up. And here's my advice to all of you. This, this, see, this, this extends far beyond Iran. Here's my advice to everybody watching. Don't push people to their breaking point. Because the more you push people to their breaking point and they cross that line, you're going to discover that they're not coming back. The more, the more you push people to their breaking point and they cross the line, they also lose their fear. They lose their anxiety. And people who used to cower under oppression, who used to be quiet in certain situations and circumstances, those people find their courage and their bravery. And if you keep pushing somebody, they will ultimately rebel because there is something in the human being that doesn't allow us to take it forever. Nobody's going to take somebody else's mess forever. At some point, folks are going to rise up, open their mouth and say, you know what? I done had enough of this. I could go through history and tell you how many times this has happened. It's happened over and over and over again. And you got to be careful because it might happen in your life. If you just keep nagging people and keep and keep keep complaining and keep and keep and critiquing people and being negative to people. At some point, they have enough of it. And they ultimately decide, I don't have to put up with this and I don't have to put up with you. You see, the interesting thing here is that. At a certain point, people stop being afraid and they start realizing that, sh- that they should have left a long time ago. And maybe all of us who are watching what's happening in Iran ought to learn a very basic lesson. Treat people right. Be good to the people in your life. Listen and respect their boundaries and their limits and their humanity. Because if you don't, my friend, you might have to deal with the revolution. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about California. Listen to this one, Juan. There's a California town that's dealing with something that I think is so important for us to talk about. So the state of California is currently in the midst of the worst drought on record. And there's a city in Fresno, California called Colinga, which is a population of 1,700 people. And the fact of the drought has become an unavoidable reality. Officials in the city of Kalinga expect, listen to this, that the city will be completely out of water within two months. There's a city in California called Kalinga, which will be out of water in exactly two months. Kalinga's water comes from the San Luis Reservoir, which is about 90 miles north of the city. And the water was de- is delivered by way of the California Aqueduct. And for whatever reason, the city's allotment to that water was cut this year. Hence the the crisis that the city happens to find itself in. And while the city did get an additional allowance of water um, that allowed it to survive thus far. By December, the city of Kalinga is expected to be completely out of water. Just think about that for a moment. A city in America. We're not talking in some in some faraway place or what we call so-called third world part of the globe. In America, a city will be completely out of water in December. (laughs) Not 20 years from now, December, people. 
Just, just let that settle into your spirit. Think about that for a second. It's amazing to me because, because out of all the issues and all the things that we might consider to be important, the fact that our reservoirs and our lakes are, are coming down, the water rates in those places are coming down, should be something that all of us are concerned a little more about. In fact, you should be more concerned about what's going on in the reservoirs and the lakes around our country than you are about gas prices. You care more about gas prices than you do about the fact that water levels are coming down in your country. You can live without gas, people. But let me tell you what you can't live without. Are you ready? Water. <laughs> you can't live without water. And there's a city in California that's about to have no water. In two months, you know, we're all used to, you know, deadly droughts and border crises happen, happening rather than other countries. But I'm telling you, we have better prepare ourselves for what's about to start happening in this country. We need to get ready for this. We need to start thinking about this. We need, we need to really prepare ourselves and take this a lot more seriously because people love to say that money, money is a made up thing, right? People love to say that money, money's a made up thing is not real. But do you know why money was invented? You're right. Money is a made up thing. But do you know why money was invented in the first place? Come on, let's talk. Why? Why did they invent money? I'll tell you why. Money was invented so that people wouldn't fight and kill each other over access to vital resources. And so to create to create a level of exchange, they created money. Because in the absence of an exchange, a level of exchange, a market of exchange, people will fight and kill and it'll be survival of the fittest out here for bread and water. That's why money was created. So that it wasn't just the strong and the powerful and the young and the vigorous who would have access to resources that people need to live that are vital for living. Did you catch that? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen in the world where we don't have any water? Where water is such a limited commodity that not even that not even money can keep people from hurting each other to give it or to get it rather. I just want you to think about this. And you know why I want you to think about this? Because this isn't a problem that's 20 years from now. This is happening right. There is a city in the state of California. And in two months, they're not going to have any water. And what do you think is going to happen in that city? When people realize that they don't have enough to drink or to bathe or to live, how do you think neighbor's going to start treating neighbor? And in this country, we got we got enough problems with people being crazy and treating each other like crap. Yeah. All right. Let's take a little break. I got another climate change story coming for you. This one's even worse than the last one I gave you. Buckle up, my friends. Welcome to the Book of Sean. We'll be right back right after this, people. Bam! Welcome back, everybody. I bet all of you are now thinking about Kalinga, California. <laughs> everybody watching the show right now can't get that out of your head. And I wish I could tell you that that's as bad as it gets, but I got, I got, I got another climate change story for you that's going to shock and amaze you. And I'm not trying to make you upset, okay? That's not what I try to do on this show. I'm just trying to make you aware, because these are some of the things we got to start thinking about. As a community, as a people, as a country, listen to this. So it was reported... It's been reported that by the year 2100, extreme heat events will make, listen to this, parts of Asia and Africa uninhabitable. 
for more than 600 million people. Maybe you didn't hear what I just said. It's estimated by the year 2100, parts of Asia and Africa will be unlivable and 600 million people will have to find somewhere else to live by the year 2100. According to a report conducted by the United Nations Climate Change Project, we are told that exacerbating and the magnitude, level, and frequency of extreme weather events are being heightened and extended and intensified by climate change. It's not just happening because it's happening. It's happening because we are contributing to what's happening in the world. And the report said that we should expect heat waves to become more deadly and far more frequent. See, as far as I'm concerned, you may disagree, and that's fine. Reasonable people, reasonable people can disagree reasonably. I'm with that. But as far as I'm concerned, climate change is the biggest and greatest and most important issue in the world today. Period. Nothing is bigger than this issue. Climate change is more important than racism, poverty, education, policing, and everything else. Because if the planet becomes unlivable, beloved, then those other issues don't matter. Now, of course, racism and poverty play a role in how the manifestation of climate, effect, climate change rather affects people on the planet because poor people and black people will feel those effects first. I got that. I don't need to be schooled on that. I understand that. But please understand this. If the planet becomes too hot to live on, then life as we know it will end. Or at least at the very least, it won't be the same. And when life comes to an end on the planet, guess what? It won't matter what race you are. <laughs> it won't matter how much money you have. It won't matter what car you drive. It won't matter where you went to school or what degree you got. If the planet becomes unlivable, then black folks and white folks and Latino folks and Asian folks and indigenous folks and rich folks, gay folks, straight folks, fat folks, every kind of folks you can think of are going to be dead on this planet together. I'm, I'm just waiting for you to respond. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to care a little more. 600 million people might have to find another place to live. All over Africa and Asia, 600 people will find that where they live today will be unlivable. It's, it, this, this is incredible. You know, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that human beings have not lost the capacity to see the bigger picture. I'm hoping that human beings have not lost the ability to deal with big, far-reaching, visionary problems and come up with visionary solutions. I'm hoping we haven't become so myopic and so petty and so small and so, and so provincial that all we can think about are, are the issues that pop up on our phones or the videos that we see over the course of a day. I'm hoping at some point we will put the trivial and the banal and the petty behind us and pick up the cause of saving the planet that we live on because this is the only home we got. I know some of y'all want to go to Mars. Rich white folks are going to Mars, but the rich white folks are going to Mars. You, you may not be rich and you may not be white, so you ain't going to Mars. <laughs> you stuck right here with me, <laughs> me and you. And before we rush off to Mars and mess up that planet, how about we try to get this one right? You feel what I'm saying? Nothing is more important than how we live on this planet together. And we had better learn to live here as, as brothers and sisters. Or as Dr. King said, we will perish here together as fools. 
Climate change is not a hoax, beloved. It's not a game. And you just heard me tell you there's a city in California called Kalinga that's running out of water. And now potentially there are parts of Asia and Africa where human beings won't be able to live. Think about that the next time you, you know, pass over the climate change story. But I do want to say one more thing about this. I saw the day that climate change activists poured some soup on a Van Gogh painting. And to my climate change friends, that's not how to do it. <laughs> the, way you, the way to get people on your cause, on your side, and to fight for your cause is not to pour paint on a soup, rather, on a Van Gogh painting. Leave the Van Gogh alone, okay? I like Van Gogh and Monet. Let's move on. This story is extremely sad and tragic and deplorable on so many levels. I can't even begin to tell you how angry this story made me when I read it and heard it. And I wanted to bring it to you because you need to know what's going on in other parts of the world. And maybe you didn't have a chance to hear this, so I'm going to give it to you now. In Great Britain, a neonatal nurse named Lucy Leiby has been charged with murdering seven babies and the attempted murder of 10 additional babies while she worked at a hospital in northwest England during the years of 2015 to 2016. One year. So in one year, she murdered seven babies and attempted to kill 10 additional babies. And this has to be one of the most deplorable and disgusting and tragic stories that I've heard in a long time. Because here you have a nurse, someone who is charged with the care of the vulnerable and the sick, a nurse is suspected of injecting newborns with air and feeding them insulin. She's she's been charged with injecting them with air so that they get blood clots and eventually die or insulin so that, you know, the insulin levels go high and, and all that comes along when you have too much insulin. Prosecutor Nick Johnson told jurors that the babies in her care were stable or either healing until they came into her provincial concern. Suddenly the babies deteriorated whenever this particular nurse was around. And of course, Lucy Levy pleaded not guilty to the charges because, of course, you know, (laughs) Why take accountability for something that you're doing wrong, right? The killing of babies, as it were. See, let me say this. Let me say this. Anybody who will kill or hurt a newborn baby is the epitome of everything that we call or understand evil to be. Whatever you think of when you think of evil, whoever would kill or hurt or injure a newborn baby is the epitome of that. And I know when I use the term evil, some of you think of a little red man in a suit, but that's not what I'm talking about. When I say evil, I mean something very particular. For me, evil is the absence of goodness or what St. Augustine called the privation of the good. Privatio boni in the Latin. You see, when there is no goodness in you, And when you are incapable of manifesting the the better angels of your nature, you are at least by my definition evil. And there is no race or no particular people or no particular country that has the market cornered on evil. America has evil people. Russia has evil people. Black people got evil people. White people got evil people. Christians got evil in us. Muslims got evil. Jews got evil. Evil, wherever people cannot manifest the goodness that they was born with. 
and cannot access their better angels, they are the manifestation of evil. And this woman is evil. If there is no goodness in you, no generosity in you, no kindness in you nowhere, if you're basically just full of resentment and pettiness and, and, and vindictive, always seeking to hurt, to manipulate, to destroy, to grind in the dust. I don't care what race you are. I don't care. I don't care what your social economic class or what your identity matrix may be. You are evil. You see, I'm only saying this because you got some people in your life for whom it's easy for them to be mean and it's easy for them to be bitter and it's easy for them to be negative and it's easy for them to be condemnatory and to critique. And you just think that they just be in them when the truth of the matter is you might be sleeping next to evil. And if that's the case, let me give you some advice. Run as fast as you possibly can. Let's move. Let's do one more one. So listen, listen to this. This is a Texas a family in Texas. Listen to this. So, so this has to be one of the, of the, of the, of the strangest stories that come out of the January 6th insurrection hearings uh, and investigation. So this week, a Texas family of five was sentenced together. <laughs> they were sentenced together for storming the Capitol together and taking part in the insurrection. That's them right there. Whole family. An entire family made up of two parents and three adult children have received a combination of jail time, probation, home confinement, and home confinement, rather, because they apparently thought that overthrowing the government was, a, was something akin to having a wonderful vacation. They said, let's go to D.C. and see how we can ignite a coup. So the Munn family, which is, and they're from Texas, um, were among some of the first uh, to enter into the Capitol on January 6th, and they did so by climbing through a window and ultimately ended up uh, occupying a Senate conference room. Now, what's interesting about this story, keep, keep that up there, John, go back, go back, go back to those two, go back to those two, is that Dawn and Thomas Mung, these two right here, who are the protagonists of our story, they apparently have eight children in total. And they actually brought four of their children to the Capitol that day. Stay with me, beloved. It's about to get interesting. So that means that four of their children decided to go to the Capitol and stage an insurrection, okay? But four others of their children decided not to go. Now, stay with me, stay with me, don't go anywhere. They have eight children. Four of their children went to the Capitol, but, and only three, rather, got charged and went in. So that means one of the children that they have who went to the Capitol decided not to go in. Stay with me, beloved. They got eight children, four stayed home, four went to D.C. for the insurrection. But only three of the children went in, one decided not to go in. And of course, I don't know why the four children that stayed home decided to stay home. And I don't know why the one kid that decided not to go in didn't go in. But here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that somewhere along the way, those four children that stayed home said, you know what? I'm going to watch this on TV. <laughs> I this don't sound like a good idea to me. And I'm hoping that the one child that went to DC who was there who decided not to go into the Capitol said, you know what? This don't look kosher. And let me tell you why I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that because I'm hoping that human beings are still capable. We still have the ability that even when we're making a mistake, we can pull ourselves back from the edge. 
I just need to believe that even as even as we are saying or doing something wrong, we have it within us, the ability to correct ourselves in the moment. Again, I don't know why those other four kids stayed home and I don't know why the one kid didn't go in. But I'm just hoping and believing that it's a metaphor of what all of us have inside of us. So, beloved, if you are in the process of doing something wrong or being a little crazy or whatever it is that you know you should not be doing, how about you pull yourself back? How about you turn around? How about you go in the opposite direction? Huh? 180 degrees the other way. Because you can do it. You can always reinvent and change your mind. And a lot of us are doing things for which we absolutely need to change our minds. We'll be right back with more Ask Doctors, with more Booker Sean. I got some best things I'm going to do for you when we come back, by the way, right after this. Welcome back, everybody. So one of the best things about having an end of the week show is that I get to show you things that I think are interesting, funny, and, um, you know, play the bumper, highly. I like telling Hailey what to do. <laughs> anyway, so take a look at this uh, video of a girl who, a little girl, little cute little girl who brings something home that she probably should have left where it was. There's a frog in the bathroom? Yeah. How did the frog get there? Um, it hopped inside and then it went in the bathroom in the sink. So you're telling me that this frog got all the way up our stairs and in our bathroom and all the way up into the sink all by itself. Yeah. Are we sure? Or does someone need to tell the truth? Um, I saw it. You saw it do that? <laughs> I think someone needs to tell the truth before we continue. It's from outside. You brought a frog in the house. Should we be bringing frogs in the house? No. Come show me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, first of all, shout out to the mom. Because one of the best things I heard all day was, <laughs> oh, is, uh, did a frog come in the house or does someone need to tell the truth? <laughs> if you have kids or grandkids, you know that moment, right? When the kid has done something and gotten caught. And now the kid, had, the kid's going, that little girl went to a complete ethical and moral dilemma. I mean, she went, she, she went through all the moral reasoning she could muster. Now, do I stick to this lie? <laughs> because there is a frog in there that I can't explain. Uh, anyway. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about Brett Favre, okay? And I'm going to take my time on this because Brett Favre in this situation deserves it. So Brett Favre is embroiled in a welfare fraud scheme in his home state of Mississippi. The former NFL quarterback recently insisted that he didn't know that millions of dollars that went in grant money that went to secure a volleyball center at the college both he and his daughter attends, attended, he, he attended and she now attends, um, that, or, or rather the $1 million that he was paid directly for public service announcement, he's claiming that he didn't know that the money that went to build the center or the money that he got for the public service announcement, announcement he's claiming he didn't know that any of that money came from welfare, that the state's welfare funds 
went to building this volleyball center and paying him a million dollars for a public service announcement. A 2020 state audit found out, check this out, that in the state of Mississippi, more than $77 million was improperly used and taken from the welfare program. And instead of helping needy families, the money was used to buy, listen to this, expensive cars to pay for private schools and pet projects of celebrities and politically connected people. And Brett Farr wants us to believe that he didn't know where the money was coming from. Here's what you need to know about Mississippi in order for your anger to rise up properly, because you should be mad already. But just in case you're not, let me help. Let me, let me help your righteous indignation find its voice. Mississippi is the poorest state in the country. It is literally Mississippi is the poorest state in the country with almost 20 percent of its population living in poverty. Twenty seven percent of the children in Mississippi live in poverty. And it's not surprising that not only is Mississippi the poorest state in the country, it also has the highest rate of homicides in the country because poverty and murder and poverty and crime often go hand in hand. But Brett Favre wants us to believe that he didn't know where the money was coming from. And I don't know if Brett Favre knew where the money was coming from or not. I wouldn't there. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Mississippi is the poorest state in the country with 20 percent of its population living in poverty and 27 percent of its children living in poverty, which leads me to believe that whether, whether Brett Favre knew where the money was coming from or not, he he should have been raising money for something better than a volleyball center or taking a million dollars to do a public service announcement. When you got 20% of your population living in poverty and 27% of your children in poverty, yeah, we should be raising money, but we should be raising money to feed and to take care of the blighted and, 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 and poor people among us. If you're living in a state with that kind of grinding poverty and where people are desperate, and the only thing you can think about is a volleyball center, like that's where your mind is? On volleyball? Come on, man. I don't know. I don't know if Brett Favre did anything illegal or not. I don't know. Okay, but I do know he did something unethical. And what was unethical was he had no concern about the condition of the people that live in that state. He just only had a concern for his pet little project. And even if he didn't do something unethical, because you could say, Dr. John, don't say that. Okay. well, how about this? He's completely out of touch with the reality of the state that he lives in and apparently loves. Six people apparently have been criminally charged in connection to the scandal. But beyond even, you know, what happened, this particular scandal. I just need to say this because it's just going to make me feel great. Republicans say one thing and do another all the time. And you say, Dr. Shaw, how'd you go from Brett Favre to Republicans? Mississippi politics are governed by Republicans. Mississippi is as red as you can possibly get. Mississippi is a red state. Ain't nothing blue coming out of Mississippi. You hear me? It's a red state. And Mississippi, being a Republican stronghold, where Republicans are constantly talking about how the government should, shouldn't be providing welfare for poor people, while they take $77 million from the welfare fund and use it to give welfare to rich people. You know I'm right. <laughs> Republicans are always talking about, you know, do it yourself. Okay. And they, and they don't support welfare. Okay. But then they take money from welfare and give it to their rich friends and buy cars and send their kids to private schools and fund their pet projects. 
I can deal with a lot of things, beloved. One of the things I cannot deal with is hypocrisy. I can't deal with hypocrisy. And I don't really understand why anybody could be voting for Republicans in this upcoming election. I, I don't understand it. I just don't get how you can support the Republican Party at this point with this kind of hypocrisy. Republicans are always talking about pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you ought to do it yourself. But do you know how the middle class got created in this country? The middle class in America did not get created by people pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. You know what did it? Three things did it. Land grants, the Homestead Act and the GI Bill created the middle class in America. All of those three things are government programs. There would be no middle class in this country without land grants, the Homestead Act, and the GI Bill. And yet Republicans want you to believe that you should be pulling yourself up by your bootstraps while the government pulls them up. Middle class white folks didn't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. It took the collective wealth of this country to create the middle class life that a lot of folks enjoy. And I'm not opposed to it at all. I'm all for it, beloved. Enjoy your life. Just don't say to poor people that you shouldn't get the help that you need out of poverty when middle class people got the help they needed to become middle class. So if it's okay for middle class folks to get help, then it ought to be okay for poor people to have it too. Let's take a break. When I come back, I got a Dwayne Wade story for you. It's going to shock and amaze you. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So uh, let's talk about Dwayne Wade, who, who's someone that I know. I've known Dwayne Wade for a few years. I know his mom um, and his family. Uh, when I was living in Chicago, I got to know D. Wade uh, and his mom. Uh, and so I know D. Wade. Um, so just, just full disclosure. Um, but recently, Dwayne Wade reported and revealed that he had to restrict the comments in his daughter's Instagram page because of the abuse that she's been getting from trolls. Zaya Wade is Dwayne Wade's daughter, and in an attempt to protect her mental health, he uh, activated the privacy settings that restrict comments. D. Wade said that he and his family have decided not to allow hate into his daughter's comments. And we all know that Zaya Wade is a beautiful trans girl who is still very young and coming to terms with growing up in this big, mean world that we all be we all have to live in, rather. And and and. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this because I do not understand. We talked about the killer nurse in Great Britain. I mean, I just don't understand why anybody would take pleasure out of making the life of a little trans girl harder than it already is. Like, what joy could you get out of making her life hard or making her feel bad or making her have a bad day? What, what possible glee can be in me? Can, can being mean to her provide for you? I don't understand that. And I don't care what anybody says to me. I'm never going to understand it. What joy can you possibly get out of being mean to a kid, man? Explain this to me. Juan, explain this to me. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. How much of an absolute loser do you have to be to spend part of your day having nothing better to do than to say mean things in the comments of a child on social media. I don't understand that. You mean you have nothing better to do with your life or your day but to jump into the comments of, of a kid. Of a kid. 
I'm, I'm glad D-Wade D has, has the wherewithal to protect his daughter. But the truth of the matter is, in this particular case, he shouldn't have to. Because I bet all the money in my pocket against all the money in your pocket that these mean comments aren't coming from other kids. I bet, I bet all the money in your pocket against all the money in my pocket that most of these mean comments are coming from adults, grown folks, in the comments of a kid. bunch of creepy old people <laughs> what you doing in the kids comments anyway you old creepy self you see i um let me say this to all the adults out there who are watching or listening however you're getting this and you're one of those people who's been in zaya's comments saying mean things you ought to be ashamed of yourself you ought to literally be ashamed of yourself because nothing could be worse than to be the kind of person who would do that. How about, how about for this reason alone? How about this? These are, she's not your child. And trans children, these are not your children. How about you focus your energy and your attention and your words on your children? How about you go down the hall and figure out why your 400 pound son stays in the house and plays video games all day and doesn't have a friend and eats pizza all the time? How about you figure that out? How about you put all your energy into having a substantive conversation with your child instead of saying mean things to somebody else's? Let D. Wade and his wife raise their children the way they want to raise their children and the way their children want to be raised. And why don't you and I focus on our children? Why do we think we always got to have something to say? We don't always have something to say, people. Sometimes it's good to mind your business and put that energy into something that you can actually have some input and responsibility for. Huh? Take all that energy and do something better with it. Shout out to Zaya Wade. We love you, even if some people in the world don't realize that they should love you too. All right, Holly, play the bumper. Let's do one more best things. So check out this video of a father teaching his daughter something important about her hair. Uh, let's say I'm somebody trying to touch your hair. What do you do? Uh, don't touch my hair. Good job. <laughs> I'm going to start doing it. Uh, don't touch my hair. <laughs> yes, people. To all my white friends out there, and maybe even some of my black friends, don't touch my hair. <laughs> don't touch people's hair. Don't just walk up and touch somebody's hair, okay? Don't do that. Ask permission. <laughs> I like that little girl. Isn't she cute? Don't touch my hair. Listen, everybody. Let me get a little last thing on this. See, that little girl is her father teaching her boundaries, how to set boundaries, how to draw lines and limits, and let people know how far they can go. You see, and I'm praying that one day when she grows up, she will take that practice and that lesson that she learned when she was really young, and she will apply it to the people in her life who need to hear it the most. Teach your children early on how to stand up for themselves, how to believe in themselves enough to tell other people what they can and cannot do, and how to have the temerity to stick to it. Because that little cute girl is going to grow up to and be a fierce and powerful woman. And I don't care what anybody says. We need more fierce and powerful black women who are able to tell the world what it can and cannot do to her. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Let's take a break, people. When we come back, 
We're going to do some Ask Dr. Sean because you guys always send me incredible questions and videos and I endeavor to answer them. Come what may, I have an answer for you. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. So let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Play the bumper highly. Thank all of you who uh, have sent in videos over the course of, you know, my time since we started doing Ask Dr. Sean. I'm grateful for all the videos and all the questions. Um, And we have some more today. So let's take a look at this one. Hey, Dr. Sean, my name is Stacy, and I need some advice. My best friend is having a wedding. However, we recently had a huge argument. Should I put that aside and still go? Um, well, generally speaking, I would say yes. If that's your best friend, you know, you're going to fight with people. First of all, no relationship is immune, for con- immune rather, from conflict. Conflict is a part of every relationship. Every parental scenario, every sibling situation, every romantic condition, there is no relationship that can avoid conflict. You're going to have conflict. And some of those conflicts will be more intense than others. But if one argument has the power to reduce your friendship into into dust, then one has to ask the question, what was the basis and the quality of the relationship? You follow what I'm saying? If you got years invested into somebody, years of time where you guys spent supporting and loving each other through, through your mutual madness, then one situation should not have the power to do that. Yes, arguments are real. Feelings are hurt. Those feelings that are hurt are also real. But sometimes you got to put that aside and see the bigger picture. The question you have to ask yourself is, do you see your, the, your future and your life going forward without this person? And if you can't imagine facing the storms and the vicissitudes and the dangers and the ups and downs of life without this person connected to you as a friend, then yes, you need to put that argument aside and show up for your friend. It would be great if the two of you could have a conversation prior to the wedding about what happened to sort of make amends. But if you can't have that, you are there for your friend. You should probably also make sure, depending on how intense the argument was, that you're still invited to the wedding. <laughs> so reaching out in a general sense is probably a good idea. Just something simple as I'm thinking about you, praying for you, and, make, and hoping and praying that your, your big day will be amazing. But I would never counsel somebody to allow an argument, no, no matter how intense it's been or was or is. To be the reason why you walk away from a friend indefinitely. Maybe for a season. Maybe for a season. But not not indefinitely. Now, I also think you should reach out because you want to make sure that your friend is in a good place when they see you. Okay? Depending on how intense that argument was. But how they respond to your presence and how they respond to you should not necessarily determine how you respond. Come up with your own response and your own reasons for staying connected and then give her the opportunity or whoever they are, him, the opportunity to make that decision for themselves. So I would say don't just show up at the wedding. Reach out before the wedding happens. And definitely, if at all possible, hold on to your friend. All right. Someone DM'd me this question. My husband wants permission to sleep with other women. He says that he loves me, but he wants to try something different. He says it's only cheating if he does it behind my back. Should I let this happen? Because at least this way, I know what he's doing 
or am I opening a door that should remain closed? See, where I come from, cheating is cheating. Okay? Where I come from, cheating is cheating. I, I, you, got, you guys come up with all these complexities and want to dress it up, but cheating is cheating. And whether I know you're cheating or whether I don't know you're cheating, the fact of the matter is, say it with me, you still cheat. It doesn't make it better because I know. I don't understand that. So now it's, it's better because you know? Do you feel better now that you know? So, so if he goes out and he cheats on you with somebody and he tells you I'm cheating on this other with you, are you going to feel better? You'll be like, oh, I feel so much better now that I know what you're doing. Now, if the answer is yes, then, you know, hey, you built different. You ought to write a book and a screenplay. <laughs> but for most people in the world, it ain't going to make them feel no better just because somebody. T- in fact, it's disrespectful on a certain level. I'm going to tell you that I'm cheating on you. I'm telling you that I'm, I'm, I'm be with somebody else tonight. And I expect you to be home when I get there. <laughs> Oh, my God. Do you, understand, do you understand the position that this person is putting you in? It's thoroughly disrespectful. I'd rather you respect me enough to hide it <laughs> than to think that I, I don't have enough self-respect to walk away from your tail <laughs> after you tell me blatantly this is what I'm doing. I, 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 listen, I'm just saying, as for me and my house, we won't be there when you get back. <laughs> No, 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 no. I don't think you should allow this behavior because clearly you have a problem with the behavior. I think you ought to go find somebody who can be committed to you. I think you ought to find somebody who's mature enough and ready for monogamy. You want monogamy. This person doesn't want that. It's fine if they don't want that. I'm not. Listen, if that's what a person doesn't want or want, that's fine. You need to find somebody with whom you are more compatible. And just because somebody's cute, just because somebody's sexy, doesn't mean that you're compatible with them. And clearly, you guys have a different moral center. He's not into monogamy. And if you're going to be with him, you, you have to either accept that or you've got to find somebody else who can roll with what you roll with. You follow what I'm saying? I know that's a hard decision, but hard decisions are a part of life. Welcome to being an adult where none of the decisions are easy and they get even harder the older you get. No, absolutely not. Should, should, you, should, you, should, you let the, should you let this happen? No, you shouldn't let this happen because you clearly don't want it to happen. And the worst thing in the world is for you to do something and then ultimately resent yourself because you allow yourself to say yes to somebody that you should have said no to. Mm-mm, don't do that. Anyway, it's been a great end of the week. I can't wait to see all of you soon. We'll be back very soon, okay? You guys take good, take good care of each other. Be good to each other. Love each other because I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow. 
almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to Progressive Parts. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.